1: Trojan fans, welcome to the Fairstyle Podcast on a Monday. Happy President's Day to everyone. We're going to talk about some USC Trojan football, like we always do here on the Fairstyle Podcast. We've got the coach, Harvey Hyde, joining us today. You can follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde or go to his website, HarveyHyde.com for all of his content. We going to talk about the Pac 12, what's going on with that? USC and UCLA, just over a year from now, are scheduled to leave for the Big Ten. Uh, some Superlatives of going into spring football, what coach would like to see as far as improvements go on this USC football team heading into spring football, and a lot of other stuff we want to get to. If you have any questions or comments for the show, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. We'd love to get your emails. You can also call or text us at 424-254-9141. That's the number. If you have the Apple Podcasting app or wherever you listen to your podcast, follow us there. Subscribe. If you can, leave us a five-star rating and review. It does help to grow the show. And we want to talk to the coach right now. Coach, how you doing, sir?
0: Ryan, I'm doing pretty good. It's a holiday for everybody but us, yeah. I guess, <laughs> uh, unless there are people out there working like us. And I'm sure there's a lot of them. But a lot of people took that extra day today, and uh, we don't because uh, football never goes away. So we love talking about it.
1: We do love talking about it, and uh, it's it's a 365-day-a-year thing. I know it's President's Day, so happy President's Day to everyone. Hopefully you uh, went out there and bought some a new couch on sale or whatever you're doing, having a barbecue. I think we got some pretty good weather here in Southern California. It's going to get worse uh, later in the week, but good to see. Hopefully get some good weather out there, and maybe you're listening to the podcast, walking through the park, whatever you're doing, enjoy uh, your President's Day. Um, so a bunch of stuff we wanted to get to coach and uh you know one of the things and you had mentioned this off the air before we go into some of the other stuff is this is a usc team that won 11 games uh obviously lost their last two close to making the playoffs you know close to winning a pac-12 championship and lincoln riley's first year uh the coaching staff is staying exactly the same and they are adding players from the transfer portal players from the high school ranks trying to get this roster better but I wanted to get your thoughts uh, initially on where you think this team really needs to improve on uh, heading into spring football. I know you had some, some areas of concern and how you'd prioritize those. If you could only fix a couple of things, where would you kind of put your, your fixing dollars, I guess you could say, uh, for this USC football team?
0: Well, I think as a head football coach, you sit down and you look at your football program and you look at the areas where you were successful and the areas that you got by with and the areas you really need a lot of improvement with, and uh, what did you win and lose with, and uh, what did you get better at during the season, and what maybe did you really achieve on one side of the football, or what cost you football games, and the way to turn it around because everybody's getting better, and if you don't get better at the same time, they're going to catch up with you. So you got to look at your season, and you got to look at the different uh, events, like the offensive side actually was a, And we're very successful and successful because of one guy that won the Heisman Trophy. Not that others weren't great players, but it all starts with the quarterback. And you had a magic man there that made it happen. So you look at that and you say the magic man is back. So that might be my less priority as far as getting better in the spring because we're going to be good. We've got great players returning. We picked up some offensive linemen. We've got to find out who can play and not play. We've got some pretty good running backs, so we should be able to develop them. We've got to put together an offense there that will take advantage of our skilled players and our running backs and the whole package. And that's something you can accomplish. That's something you can accomplish. And as a head football coach, I'm going to look and I'm going to say I'm going to have to get a little bit more involved or more involved in the defensive side of the football because we didn't get better on defense during the season. Uh, we performed, we won because of turnovers, which are created by defense, but you can't always t- rely on turnovers. They're not always going to happen in abundance during a football game, and you've got to be able to stop people and do certain things without depending on turnovers. It's not that you're not going to try to have turnovers. So you look at the defensive side and you say, we've got a lot to do there. That would be my number one priority. Going into spring practice, how do we make the defense better? You've got to make sure that you evaluate the personnel uh, properly, that what you brought in, what you have, and what you need to do. Who can get better that you already have returning? Can that athlete become a better football player, or has that athlete already matured and he's at his maximum ability because of his size, his speed, the length of his arms, and all of the above? And then, of course, the new players coming in, you must evaluate them. And you've got to find out, is Corey Foreman going to be a player or not going to be a player? And all these other new, like Eric Gentry's having surgery. So he won't be out there in the spring. So who's going to be there in his position that we can evaluate and get things done on the front seven? Because the front seven is where it all starts. If you can't win... In the front seven as far as pressure, tackling, forcing people into bad situations, causing mistakes, then you're in trouble. And then on the back end, you've got to evaluate who's going to be in the secondary, who's going to make that play for you in the secondary. And if you don't have the personnel there now, then you better find some. Or if you need to, even move offensive players over there to make sure your best players are on the field. So I think that's the main uh, topic as far as if I'm Coach Lincoln Riley, is we did not really play to the level of a championship level and it cost us games on the defensive side of the football. Now the next thing I would address is special teams. Uh, How do we get better? I mean, we were not good in kickoff coverages. How can we not be good in kickoff coverages? Kickoff returns, we made... Silly airs, judgment errors, uh, throughout the season, and also a air in the cotton bowl that cost us maybe the football game. So, how do we improve special teams? How do we ins- improve our field goal percentage? How do we return our kickoff returns? Mainly, how do we improve our mental airs that we don't beat ourselves with special teams? And who does the players look to who does the players look to as far as being their special teams leader so i think that's very important that you look at it your special teams offense would be something i would depend on and know it's going to be good but those are the areas that we've got to improve on if we're going to be a contender because other schools are better washington's better oregon's better Arizona says it's going to be better. Arizona's better, so uh, you know these other teams uh, are trying to catch up with you. So if you're going to stay ahead of them, you've got to get better.
1: Yeah, no, that makes sense, Coach. I mean, it's uh, the the Pac-12 is going to be very top-heavy again. Improved teams. This is uh, you know this is not a time to sit on your laurels. You got to get you got to get better and 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 push forward. So I think uh, Lincoln Riley's going to be trying to do that. I like your list of priorities or where you would kind of. Put your resources going in the spring, and we'll see um, what en- USC ends up doing. We don't have the official spring um, uh, schedule yet. We know it's supposed to start uh, pretty soon, March fourth uh, on Saturday. Uh, met with some people at USC, and uh, the Dave Emmerich, who works in the athletic department, put out a, a spring a spring schedule. But I guess that was not necessarily correct. It's probably something similar to that. Uh, But we'll know, we should know pretty soon, maybe this week, uh, what the actual spring schedule is. Uh, From what I've heard, it won't be open practices similar to what we saw before that media would be able to watch like the first 30 minutes or so and uh, get to talk to players and coaches. So probably very similar to what we've seen before from what I've been told, but we don't have the official word yet. But stay tuned to that. We'll have our spring coverage and everything going forward. You know, same kind of thing, three practices a week, Tuesday, Thursday, Thursday um saturday and we usually hear from lincoln riley at least two of those days so uh also wanted to talk coach about the future of the pac-12 and usc and ucla are leaving uh july 2024 i know some people are like good riddance whatever i mean but it's still it's kind of like you, you got another job but you live in the same neighborhood so you might get a better job somewhere and you're commuting your commute's a little longer But you're still coming back to the neighborhood every time when you go, you know, when you come home from the weekend, you go to sleep. Um, USC and UCLA are still going to be West Coast schools, and I think it matters what happens to the other West Coast schools uh, going forward. And I think George Klyavkov, the commissioner of the Pac-12, was very bullish uh, about the kind of television, you know, TV rights deal that they could get uh, for the remaining Pac. You know the Pac-10, the ten schools that were left, and there's been some rumors of like the San Diego States or SMU's of the world being added to that. You know, cer- you know, Tier One rights, where they're going to go. ESPN seems to be like the main partner, but Amazon, Apple, you know, streaming services could be involved. There's a lot of options on the table, but the longer this goes on, and there's more rumors and stuff we're hearing out there about why this is taking so long, that they're not able to get the kind of money that Kalevkov was promising to the schools. You know, he was thinking like 40, 45 million a school. It just doesn't seem like that's going to be there. And then the big 12 comes in and and Brett Yormark sort of jumps the line and signs their deal first for, I think it was 31 million a year, which seemed kind of low, but the Pac-12 might not even be able to get to that number. And, you know, if that happens, will there be a grant of rights deal for the Pac-10 teams that are left? That they'll sign and say, hey, we're going to stick together, or they're going to start looking elsewhere. So, the longer this goes on, Coach, to me, there's more and more instability. And that could mean something significant for USC and UCLA. If there is a, a fracture in the Pac 10, which I didn't think was going to happen before, now that's coming into question a little bit more, you know, if Oregon or Washington end up in the Big 10, uh, that could impact USC's recruiting going forward, where instead of leaving like a rival like Oregon behind, they could continue to come into Southern California and poach away some of the top talent like they've been doing if they're part of uh, the Big Ten as opposed to get, you know, relegated to Mountain West or something. I don't know. I mean, we, we don't know the whole, the whole future there, but there does seem to be a little bit more instability in the Pac-12 and USC and UCLA signed their deals. And they're moving forward, but they're still here, coach. So I, I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts. And it's a long little preamble there but your thoughts on the Pac-12 future where where that's going and you know what it could mean for USC's and UCLA's depending on what happens out here
0: well it is a difficult situation and it was caused uh, way back uh, when uh, Larry Scar was in charge and uh, allowed a lot of these things to happen but the college presidents allowed it to happen at the same time and no one really uh, understood what was going on and why And but it was happening And the face of the PAC-12 was lost as far as with USC and Southern California. And other schools took advantage of that as far as, you know, building their programs and so on, while USC was going through its struggles with sanctions and so on. And not winning at the level it should be. So the money opportunities and the stations, uh, I mean, the affiliates, uh, we're not picking up their games. They were playing at 9 in the morning, 11 in the morning, 1 in the afternoon. Not 1, but some morning games, uh, which weren't attractive to people. And it started to hurt the revenues and the advertising. People said, no, people aren't going to be watching football at that time. So USC and UCLA made the determination of leaving. And at the same time, I still believe that if Washington and Oregon are given a, a big uh, opportunity to go to uh, the Big 12 or the Big 10. I think they're gone, personally. And I think until there's a new commissioner for the Big 10, there's not going to be much done as far as making sure these things happen. But I think George Kay's got to continue with the back 12 his position and assume and try to keep it together the best they can without really knowing what the final... Uh, Group will be, but I think it's so important to them if they're going to have any type of revenue income, they've got to have some members of the PAC 12 that are southern, uh, farther southern than Berkeley and Stanford, the entire state and the population of the state. As far as what is it, San Diego is the eighth largest city in the United States and all the way from where San Jose or Palo Alto, all the way down Berkeley to San Diego's no Pac 12 members, including LA, with UCLA gone and USC gone. So they've got to fill that area. So I think they don't have any option but to pick up a San Diego State. Now, the only problem is now San Diego State has had good success against the Pac-12 and playing them. Obviously, they beat Utah and they beat other teams, Arizona, so it's not like they can't compete. But when they built their stadium that they just recently completed, it's a 40,000-seat stadium, which is bigger than Washington State's, don't get me wrong. So I think that San Diego State, with the improvement of more funds for the Pac-12, would be a good addition to the Pac-12 as far as for television revenue and I think that it would pick up on their tenants too because they would be picking up teams that would never played in San Diego regularly so I think it would help them now what happens in between that area well the only thing in between that would be a, a Fresno State as far as in California because all the state colleges such as well there's no more football except if you're a division three school from Berkeley to San Diego if that happens. So what happens? You either force the the pickups, Fresno State, which really supports college football, all their athletic programs. They've proven that in playing the pack, 12 teams, and the other teams they play, so they can be very competitive. But does that pick up the dollars for them as far as media, as far as people wanting to advertise nationally and so on, as far as how many numbers are there actually in Fresno they're going to pick up? So you look at UNLV, which is a fastly growing community, and has all the uh, Pac-12 activities going on now there, and uh, has a program that has not really won in football and basketball recently at the level of what the Pac-12 would like, but gives them the other side of what's happening in Las Vegas with all of their championship games being played there in the central location, of lv Would that happen? I don't know. SMU gives them a whole new area, but is that an attractive game or team for the Pac-12 people? Will the people come out because SMU is coming to town? I'm not quite sure if that'll happen. So you've got to, these things you have to consider as far as picking the teams that'll be a part of the Pac-12, but it's a dangerous situation coming up because Washington and Oregon are not for sure who you're going to pick up in these other areas. So I think the Pac-12 is really in jeopardy of exactly what's going to happen depending on what happens with Washington and Oregon to see if they're going to survive.
1: Yeah, this I mean, there's a lot there, Coach. And I think, you know, if there are some interesting follows on Twitter that I've been, that people that seem to kind of know what they're talking about, and they'll go on these, like, Twitter rants and there was rumors of a potential Big 12, Pac-12 merger um, or something that was at least uh, being discussed. Um, A lot of the stuff, though, that we're hearing just from behind the scenes, you know, I know Dennis Dodds reported some stuff. uh, Guys over at The Athletic have been reporting, um, you know, some of the stuff that it's just, you know, ESPN and Amazon seem to be the main players right now but not all schools are on board. They're looking at adding those programs like you talked about, and not all, all schools are on board for that. Um, it just doesn't seem to be like everyone's on the same page. And, you know, I think you got the cows and the Stanford's that are like, we don't want San Diego state in our conference. Um, and then, you know, why are you adding schools like that? If it's, you know, it seems like it's more inventory more than anything else. And, you you know, would an Amazon want more schools or do they want more games or do they only want like the game of the week? And, you know, they they've dipped their toe into the NFL and the the ratings for those numbers. I mean, for those games are not good. And that's only one game. Um, These would be games going up against other games and you have to switch to a streaming service as opposed to watching like ESPN or Fox. So there's a there seems to be a lot going on here. And I I don't know what your thoughts on on I like George Kleofkoff, and I think you know he was dealt a, a pretty bad hand but man from the from the jump it just seemed like he's not been you know there were some he was putting some tough spots for sure but allowing the big 12 to go to market before you uh, I think that was really something that hurt the conference did you need to do something to keep USA and UCLA yeah and maybe you couldn't have done anything I don't know The the Big 12 had an advantage because their two programs got poached first. Texas and and Oklahoma were gone. They had the first opportunity to get the best group of five schools. So they've already scooped up the best um, replacement schools that you could get. So that kind of put the Pac-12 at a disadvantage. The Pac-12's advantage was they were going to negotiate their deal first. I think not seeing that the Big 12 would jump ahead of that and probably leaving some money on the table to become more stable Has to me has destabilized the Pac-12. So there's just it's just so interesting for me right now. And maybe USA fans don't care as much just because they're not involved. But like I said, this is part of West Coast football. Um, I mean, this might be if something happens to the Pac-12 and they fracture. If uh, if the Arizona schools want to leave, or or Oregon and Washington want to leave, I think the Pac-12 will be dead. I mean, I just don't see them surviving something like that. and then who knows how that changes college football going forward. It, it seems to be going more and more towards like two super conferences, but who knows? Maybe the Pac-12 and the Big 12 get together and they form their own super conference. Um, there's just, there's just a lot that could happen uh, in the college football landscape, coach. It's all interesting to me. I don't know if it is to you, but it is to me.
0: It's interesting. Uh, yet it's satisfying as far as for USC and UCLA. I think it's the greatest thing that could happen to them currently with all this going on. They're going to have a big payday. I think it's going to be in great interest to college football in Southern California and the Rose Bowl, the Granddaddy of Mall and the Coliseum, historical uh, places to play. I think people that are in the uh, Big Ten area look forward to coming to Southern California or having the opportunity of playing in the Coliseum against USC, visit Southern California during winter months, go to the Rose Bowl, something kids really want to always had the opportunity of playing in the Rose bowl, but a Northwestern or Minnesota hadn't been there for a long period of time. And it's a great, uh, uh, excuse to go to California. I think the crowds will increase. The interest will increase. The revenue will increase as far as attendance at games. And I personally don't think a USC or UCLA cares what happens to the PAC 12. Uh, I think that they made their decision to leave and, uh, I think that USC, they turned their back on USC when they had all the sanctions going on. The other universities, they didn't come to their support, as to say. And uh, I think that USC made the uh, decision and UCLA followed along because of the revenues and also the exposure and having the opportunity of being in the Big Ten and knowing this is all going to happen. thought it was a great move. So if you're an SC fan or UCLA fan, I, I think it's great. I didn't like it at first because I thought it broke up a very traditional conference. But again, I can see what's going on. There was some schools that really wanted to get after it, and there were some schools that didn't really want to get after it. But the schools out there that, that uh, are now uh, improved, you take a Utah, who's the newest member like in the... Pac-12, and you take a Colorado, uh, they're going to be much better, and you take, you know, of course, Washington State is a team that you better show up with because they'll beat you, and Sanford's made a coaching change, Arizona State is a premier team, so I think there's still a a core of good football for the Pac-12, especially at Washington and Oregon State. I think it's a good conference. It really is a good conference, but can they compete with the other conferences, with the lack of revenue that the other conferences are going to have, that's the question. And how are they going to fill the void in the areas where they don't have football programs? As far as the media relations, it's pretty hard to set a a uh, a con a contract for television when you say we don't have anybody south of Berkeley or Palo Alto in the whole state of California. That's pretty tough. So I think they've got to really make some serious plans on what they're going to do there as far as uh, being able to maybe move games to other areas, play a game, Washington play a game in L.A., Washington play a game in San Diego. I don't know what the future is going to be, but they've got to make some real adjustments.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll get to our other topics and uh, a couple questions. So back in a minute. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle podcast. Also want to talk about this whole uh, name, image, and likeness thing, Coach. And uh, last week was kind of interesting because there were two different USC NIL entities that kind of kicked off, uh, had events. Um, and basically what we're talking about is, you know, the world of collectives. And if you guys remember hearing the the, the term Boulevard or the the name Boulevard, uh, they were out there like as a they were calling themselves a collective plus um there was a bunch of people some people that used to work at USC there were some boosters behind it they're trying to raise money they were selling t-shirts well we haven't seen them very active on social media since uh the end of last year and then we started getting word that Boulevard was uh no more and they're retooling it and coming up with a new uh name and and all that so Boulevard as we know it uh, from what we've been told, uh, is no longer going to exist. So that kind of leaves a void since they were like this sort of official USC collective partner. I know the NCAA changed the rules, so you couldn't do that. And uh, there was a lot of criticism and a lot of stuff going on in, in that whole world. But they're, from what we've been told, they're coming up with a, a new name and a new uh, you know, model going forward to try to help USC's uh, NIL Uh, the players and get them some NIL opportunities. So we'll see kind of what happens with that. But from what I've been told, that they're not ready to kind of announce anything yet. But in the meantime, there were two other groups that did. Uh, There's one called the Tommy group. And I was at their event in West Hollywood on Wednesday night. Some uh, former players like Keyshawn Johnson and Alex Holmes and some big businessmen uh, that are USC boosters that were there. And that was a crazy event. The whole football team was there. coach, like Lincoln Riley, the whole staff, all the team players had like business cards they were uh you were basically um networking and they're you know I, we weren't as a media we weren't allowed into the beginning part of it so we didn't get to see some of the presentations but we were there for the mingling and stuff afterwards and got to talk to a bunch of the founders of this and uh they seemed gung ho ready to go uh to try to help uh you know get some of these big brands in Los Angeles associated with USC football players, and uh, that's what their focus is. And there's also the Let's Engage company, which, if you remember, Jake Olson, the former USC long snapper, who happens to be blind, and um, you know they have a company uh, that you know Let's Engage, and they had an event in Manhattan Beach. They got some boosters backing them up. Uh, Jake Olson was actually one of the original name, image, and likeness guys. He was making money, you know, doing speaking tours and things, even though he was a college football athlete. Uh, the NCAA, uh, the joke was the NCAA wasn't going to you know, shut down a, a blind cancer survivor from making money. But he was doing the NIL stuff early. Uh, and so I think they feel that they're well positioned to kind of help represent some of these athletes and, and help uh, set them up with NIL deals and things like that. Um, so at least three groups, two that are formed and one that's forming or reforming uh, to try to help this USC NIL space. None of them and I know a lot of USC fans are into this coach. None of them are focused on high school recruits. They're not trying to get high school players money to sign with USC. I know that happens out there. USC from all the groups I've talked to, none of the groups I've talked to have focused on this. And I've talked to all of them. I've talked to all the groups, including Student Body Right that that you know isn't around anymore. But yeah, so they're they're out there. Um it'll be interesting to see how this kind of progresses going forward, but USC's general strategy coach is more take advantage of LA, the entertainment capital of the world. Get gets these players associated with some big brands. Get them compensation for being on the team and 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 doing things that in that way instead of uh, hey, let's pay some high school players to end up at USC. So, uh, but yeah, so just kind of be on the lookout for that. You might have seen some you know articles about the Tommy Group or. Uh, engage or any of that um, going forward but it's it's definitely changing and it has an impact on USC recruiting for sure and retention uh, getting players to stick around uh, the program because if they have some some good deals and you know they maybe they don't look elsewhere maybe they don't want to transfer maybe they don't want to retire whatever it is uh, but that's sort of like the, a little recap of what I saw this past week coach any, any thoughts on any of that
0: well I've always said in, uh, in life adjust or die, so you've got to adjust to what's going on in college football and what's happening to the world and everything else. And if this is a big part of what uh, football is going to or athletes are going to, as far as when I look at Caleb Williams, I think he's going to have his line of clothing here shortly. I mean, as far as the way he dresses and the things he's doing and his gloves and his hats and all these things, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if he has a, a line of clothing. He's got a plan. He's an organizer. He's always been that way. and and whatever it takes to get that done, along with you know playing football, I think that's going to happen. And I think it's not going to be for everybody. I think it's going to be for the highly uh, visible athlete that people recognize on the television screen or recognize on the billboard or recognize by the voice. Uh, I think that's the ones that will benefit the most. Uh, I think it uh, will not help... Just uh, the entire team being there or coaches being there but I think it will help the ones that uh, will help the product and the ones that will help the product uh, they will have uh, some type of uh, agreement with that product it's just like anything else in business uh, if you help uh, sell a car or if you help uh, with a drink or whatever it is they're gonna they're gonna sign you because it proves that more people do that by recognizing who's drinking this product or who's wearing that clothes or who's driving that car. So I think it's going to really uh, assist the the high visible athlete, but maybe not the rest of everybody.
1: Yeah, and then from talking to some of the founders, Coach, they do want to try to set it up so there'd be team-wide deals. Um, I know they had one that was uh, like scooters, so everyone got a scooter, kind of things like that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see uh, what they're able to do. And then I know two of the the new organizations uh, engage. They're working as a, a nonprofit on this. And then the new, whatever the new boulevard's going to be, same sort of thing. They're going for like the nonprofit status. And that's a, that's what um, Student Body Right was trying to do as well. So some different approaches. Uh, we'll see how it all kind of works out. But it's, it's a, I would say, you know, in general, USC is behind uh, as they kind of normally are in situations like this. Uh, a little bit behind on what the, what's going on. But I just want to kind of give you guys a feel for what was that. We I wrote a lot of information in the War Room uh, on Friday if you want to go check that out over at usafootball.com. Um, coach, there's also been some potential rule changes uh, kicked around uh, the NCAA. I one of the committees or something. I think they were meeting and uh, had a few rule changes. I think Ross Dellinger from SI would – was posting these, what these changes uh, could potentially be, all for trying to, you know, take down, you know, have fewer plays in the game and have the games take uh, a little less time overall, because some of these games are going like four hours and they're, they're trying to reduce uh, time. So I want to go over the changes or the, the proposed changes that are under consideration and get your thoughts on all of them. So, one of them would be prohibiting consecutive timeouts, so you couldn't ice kickers, so you can't call timeout two or three times in a row. Um, no untimed downs at the end of the first quarter or the third quarter. I don't think that would have uh, that much of, a, of an impact. Uh, clocks would clocks would run after first downs, so the you know right now the clock stops after a first down um, until you reset the ball. So they would keep running even if you get a first down, except if it was the last two minutes of the half, and then a clock would run on an incompletion once the ball was spotted. So it would be very similar to what they do on a first down right now. So uh, if you throw an incomplete pass, they bring the ball back and spot it, and the clock starts again. You don't just get to uh, um, have the clock stop, just like a a, a mini timeout. But any thoughts on all of those? I'm not huge fans, but uh, I don't know if you are, Coach. I want to get your thoughts on some of these.
0: Well, I think a lot of those follow the NFL as far as those are. A lot of the NFL uh, rules are going on as far as the clock continues on a first down and starts, uh, you know, after a, uh, I don't know if it starts after a penalty, but whatever. And all this does is uh, allow the uh, less play on the football field and more commercial time. As far as I'm concerned, I don't know if it'll uh, shorten the game. Because I'm sure the time sent. Let's say it's uh, they save three minutes. Well, that's six commercials. I mean, are they going to cut the commercials down? Has anybody talked about cutting the commercials back? Because I like to watch a football game. I like to see as many plays as possible. So uh, it depends on exactly what's happening with the rules and regulations regarding the number of timeouts, the number of commercial spots you can have during a game. Are you working with television and networks to say, we'll cut back if you cut back? If we cut back on football, are you cutting back on commercial times? So if you're not cutting back, but maybe you're picking up commercial times, what have you accomplished, really? The game will be the same, same length of time. And that's my first thought as far as hearing what you just said. But again, I'd have to look at it more.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, sometimes it's, some of this stuff is like, okay, well, are you really going to accomplish what you want to accomplish? Like sometimes you have, you have a, Hey, we have a, a goal and we're going to do these things to try to reach our goal. And then you get unintended consequences and you can make things worse. I, I don't want to see the, you know, I, I like it when you, the, the, the clock stops uh, on an incomplete pass. I mean, that's the, that's the way the NFL does it. I mean, you can, kill the clock. Like, I think that's a little extreme getting rid of the, you know, stops on a first down and cut for the last two minutes. I think, you know, that's kind of a reasonable compromise. The one thing they probably won't compromise is fewer commercials coach because all these huge TV contracts they have to do, they need those commercials to, to pay them off. So, um, but I'm curious to see, I mean, these are, these are just kind of proposed changes, but I just want to kind of get your thoughts, uh, going into that one.
0: Well, they're sort of taking a lot of this, uh, thing out of the game as far as calling double timeouts uh, for a field goal or so on to sort of ice somebody I don't know Uh, yeah you can take it or don't take it I didn't like the two point conversion at first okay now I sort of like it so I think it takes time to adjust to what you're so used to seeing and a lot of times unless we speak about a lot of these things you don't even think about hey wait a minute the clock's running well yeah the clock's running because of the change of the rule. And once you hear about it, then again, uh, your whole offense changes as far as uh, getting huddled up or getting on the line of scrimmage to run your next play. So uh, I don't know. I think a lot of time is on a kickoff. You line up for a kickoff, you kick the ball in the end zone, and then now you walk the ball out, it's a fair catch, and the ball goes to the, uh, the, the designated 25-yard line, and they take a commercial. Yeah, Really, they run run play, and they go to a commercial break. I mean, uh, that is to me what I don't like. Okay, those type of things.
1: Yeah, I talked. Funny, I talked to a, uh, someone at Fox about that, and they basically have a a number of commercial breaks that have to happen during, um, you know, each quarter. And so, if you have, if they if they've just had not a lot of breaks in the action then what happens is that's why they have to kind of squeeze an extra one in and that's why they end up doing that. So if there was a bunch of breaks before, they shouldn't have to do that. But yeah, but oh, we'll see kind of going forward. Um, we got a couple of questions as well, coach. Let me play a voicemail for you.
0: Hey, Ryan, a little thought before spring ball. If you told Ronnie Lott, a hall of fame football player. Maybe the best USC has ever had on defense for sure. If you told him to try to strip the ball on every tackle, since he's just tackling with one arm, no matter how fantastic a player he is, he's going to miss some tackles. That's our philosophy. Curtis from Reno Valley. Well, you know, I have to agree with what Curtis is saying. You're emphasizing one thing before you're emphasizing the tackle and the stopping the uh, receiver, ball carrier, whatever, as far as falling forward. You're trying to do the secondary thing, which is strip the football rather than put a hit on him and knock him backwards and put him to the ground. I think that's something that's part of the thing, but I think the tackling portion of it comes first. And I think that uh, sometimes... Uh, there's too much of an em- emphasis on that. I think by hard hitting and good tackling, you're going to cause uh, turnovers. And uh, yes, you do occasionally strip the football, but is that the way you should be taught to make a tackle? No. I think it's the best way to get the guy to the ground, and if you get him to the ground properly, you're going uh, you know, get to a, get a turnover or a fumble or get an interception or whatever it is. But uh yeah, I agree with Curtis on that. I think you gotta get the guy to get around first.
1: Yeah. That's I mean, that's probably gonna be a point of emphasis like you talk about this spring. We'll see, you know, how much we get to watch. But uh where you're you're securing the tackle, uh, that's a big deal. And there there was some just some bad games for USC was was poorly tackling and then when you get the when it's also a team that gets a lot of turnovers, um, then you kinda like start questioning, Are you only going after turnovers? You're not trying to tackle the guy, things like that. Uh, Our buddy Dan, class of 1962, wrote in. He says, as Coach Hyde always stresses, recruiting is the name of the game so that good coaches can develop great players. What is your take on the money that is now uh, shown in recruiting? Uh, When a player leaves a program like Florida for ASU because he didn't get the promised millions of dollars in the NIL deal, you know it's about the money. Um, He said, uh, and, you know, So kind of get your thoughts on that. He kind of goes on a little bit about it. I want to get into some of the specifics he's talking about, but, um, thoughts on, you know, that I know USC is not focused on this, but the fact that there is actual, you know, proposed money involved for high school players, uh, in the recruiting process now.
0: Yeah. And, uh, that'll be used, uh, because of, uh, uh, people that do have the finances and who believe in our boosters or whatever to, uh, a program, whatever that program might be, well, they were—they'll tell that kid or that family that uh, we're going to set you up if your son or, or daughter signs with our university, uh, and so on and so on. But is there going to be a guarantee that that son or daughter is going to stay there four years? Uh, to me, we've seen, and I don't want to get into who they are that you know that uh, a kid will set out his senior year and high school because he's been receiving money because he doesn't want to get injured to go to the school that's uh that's going to give him a million dollars so you know you've got to look at just exactly how that money is going to be used and then that student athlete if you remember if you know what i'm talking about left that school and went to another school now did he pay that money back did they give him the money how did that work So, you know, I think that you're always going to have people out there to try to buy people because money is there and people listen because I can understand how someone who doesn't have much in their life or a place to sleep or take care of his children or her children or the family and someone is offering them $500,000 assigned to go to a university, how they can't say no to that. I can understand that because it's a whole different lifestyle change for them. So I, can I say it's good or bad? I don't know. I think it's bad because uh, all schools can't do that and everything isn't equal. And the NCAA in the past has been, everything's going to be equal. Well, everything isn't equal anymore. And uh, I think people have to just uh, recognize that. And if somebody's getting a million dollars or 14 million dollars supposedly the player was going to get it Florida I think that's a little blown out of part uh, blown out of place and uh, he didn't get it so he left. So uh you know you got to look at it on both sides and uh, and say oh well this is the way it's going to be so what are we going to do about it.
1: Yeah it's uh it's a little crazy uh what's going on out there and we'll see I mean I think the market will start to correct itself but Dan, thanks for that. He also said it's time for Reggie Bush to get his Heisman back. And he said, uh, it's so quaint now that in the 1950s, John Arnett and other football players were penalized half the season for selling their complimentary football tickets that cost about $10 each losing five games. in my estimation cost John Arnett, the 1956 Heisman award. He was the Reggie Bush of his era. Yes, this has been going on a while, coach. They, uh,
0: I remember all those years. I mean, Marv go He was in charge of that at USC. And they've changed so many things. If you remember, the NCAA put in that the uh, USC football players couldn't work in Hollywood, couldn't work on the movie sets because they had an unfair advantage that other universities didn't have that opportunity to be in an ad or work on the sets or do the different things that L.A. offered those players. So they... Uh, you know, they had some great producers at USC in the movie business that hired these kids. And uh, they said they couldn't do that. I remember when I was in Las Vegas, I'd recruit. And when the kids arrived in Las Vegas, I'd have a limo pick them up. Well, the word got around that I was having my recruits get picked up in a limo. And a lot of the universities complained because they didn't have the limo services we do in Las Vegas to pick up their kids. So... I got a letter from the NCAA saying, cease what you're doing with Lemos. Well, today, that'd be nothing. But in those days, that was something.
1: Yeah, crazy Um, how how times change, but they do. All right, Coach. Well, good stuff. A lot of uh, interesting topics to uh, discuss today. And uh, looking forward to spring football starting here uh, pretty soon. So it'll be fun to be able to talk about the team and see what we, you know, whatever we can see out there. Um, but yeah, it should be a lot of fun. But coach again, thanks again. Thanks a lot for coming on and uh, take care, man. It was good. Good talking to you again.
0: Thanks, right Listen, let me ask you one question because I don't know the answer. Sure. Maybe you do. I don't think you do, but what time have they spoken about practicing in the spring? Do you hear anything? They
1: have not said, but a little bird told me it's probably going to be an afternoon practice. Um, similar to what we saw before, like a Tuesday, Thursday afternoon, and then a Saturday morning. I don't think the Saturday mornings are going to be open, but I think we will still be able to hear from Lincoln Riley. That's what I've heard, uh, but we don't know yet. They haven't you know, finalized it or announced it or anything, but I believe you're going to have some afternoon practices uh, like we had before uh, during the week.
0: Okay, good. And spring, uh, the spring game is going to be on April the 15th, and we hope that'll be open to the public.
1: Yeah, it should be open to the public, just like it was before, from what I've been told. So uh, again, I think we'll f- they'll probably announce something this week, Coach. Uh, they need to come up with the roster. Um, they haven't done that yet, so we've I put up my scholarship distribution chart, and you can kind of see where I feel like USC is scholarship wise. But we'll hear more hopefully this week. More official word on the practices, what you know, how open they will be, and all that kind of stuff.
0: All right, my man. Well, I appreciate coming on. Thank you, all of you out there uh, for uh, being a part of our show. And, Ryan, I look forward to the next when we do.
1: Sounds good, Coach. Always great talking to you and talking to all of our listeners out there in the Peristyle Podcast land. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next time.
0: You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com.